chapter 7. Before we start, I'll just uh, do a little introduction. We've had this beginning series uh, we've been working through, working our way through. We talked about Peter. We looked at Peter and, and the beginning of faith and how he's, the Bible said he's beginning to sink and his beginning of faith and how he had the faith to step out of the boat. And then we looked at the beginning of the gospel in Mark chapter 1 and there is no greater beginning than that beginning. And, and then we also saw the beginning of revival. We mentioned that last week. And now this week we're going to look at what I think is one of my favorite new beginnings in the Bible. And that's Paul's new beginning. And we find just some of the background of that, some groundwork. We're going to look at Acts chapter 7 and look at verses 54 to 60. And God's word says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So here in this passage and in the verses prior to this, Stephen just bore down on the truth. Uh, the members of the council began to murmur. They became uh, upset. They became disorderly. But Stephen was really just bearing down on that truth, bore down on that truth of, of calling out their sin. And then finally, under so much conviction of the heart, they, they interrupted his defense, and then they rushed him in preparation of stoning him. So angered were they at Stephen that the Bible says they literally gnashed their teeth like ravenous beasts. They, they stopped their ears so they couldn't hear him. They, they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. There was no vote or recognition of the fact that the Sanhedrin didn't even have that authority to sentence somebody to death. They were just so upset, and so angry, and so convicted, they just took him outside the city and stoned him. Now, amid all this confusion, though, stood that serene figure of Stephen, sustained by the now standing Christ. And this position uh, indicates his ministry. Uh, he's giving sustenance to his people. Uh, Christ's work of redemption is finished, so in that sense, he's sitting down. But his work of sustaining his own goes on, and in that respect, he's standing. So as the stoning proceeded, Stephen kneeled and asked the Lord to receive his spirit and not lay this sin to their charge. Then he fell dead and was ushered immediately into the presence of his standing Savior, who was waiting to greet him and tell him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Matthew 25, 21. Wouldn't it be wonderful to hear those words? You know, at, at when our time is done, when we're ushered in the presence of the Lord, that'll be. That's my prayer that I will, I will get to hear those words. So now the rest of the story. Story does not end there, though. The first sentence of Acts chapter eight finishes it. It says, "And Saul was consenting unto his death." Stephen was dead, but God's work lived on and would soon be carried on through the life of a man whose name was Saul, who was standing by, holding the witness's clothing, and consenting to Stephen's death. Out of seeming tragedy, 
came a vessel fit for the master's use. And you advance. Out of Stephen came Paul. Out of Stephen came Paul. So look at me at uh, Acts chapter 8. We're looking at verses 1 to 3. And look a little bit at the persecution of the church. In Acts chapter 8, starting verse 1, it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. So we have a chief persecutor. Paul was a, or Saul was a chief persecutor. As this man, man of, by the name of Saul, now begins to dominate the book of Acts. Uh, the intensity of his attacks is, is shown by the fact he went into homes and that these attacks, these persecutions, including women, and he arrested them, and it included loss of property, and, and this, all this would have been unavoidable with this intense persecution that Saul was undertaking. Now, these persecutions that were going on, they had social approval. Uh, one person stated this, It was very popular with the leadership and most of the citizens of Jerusalem to persecute the Christians, such as Paul, and persecute the Christians. Those who were the most active in the persecution, such as Paul, received praise and promotion from the leaders. Now, I read that, and I was thinking about, even we can, we're not necessarily persecuted, but you can kind of see a little bit of that going on today. It seems like it's, it's socially approved to make fun of Christians or to give Christians a hard time or to make things very difficult for people with religious beliefs to, to, to go, to, to do, to work, to whatever. It, it, it seems like the world just makes things very difficult today for Christians in a lot of ways. The word havoc here in our passage, it means devastation. So it says, Saul devastated the church with these persecutions he led. And Paul testified to as much in Philippians 3, 6. He said, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Acts 22, 4, he also said, and I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering the prisons, both men and women. Paul says, I persecuted this way unto the death. So Paul is really persecuting, devastating the church. And then you look at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. It says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So in spite of his great learning, Saul was spiritually blind. He did not understand that the Old Testament really taught about the Messiah. He didn't understand what it really taught about the Messiah. Like others of his countrymen, he stumbled over the cross because he depended on his own righteousness and not on the righteousness of God. So just a little historical background. Uh, where it says, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues. The Sanhedrin wielded great power, not only in Jerusalem, but throughout the, the Roman Empire, as far as over Jewish people. Uh, they had this wide-ranging wide authority. It was upheld in Rome for over 100 years running at this point in history. And this, this story has its roots to a treaty that was signed with the Hasmoneans, and, and even Julius Caesar was involved in this authority and giving this authority to the Sanhedrin. Uh, so they had this authority to do what they were doing, to go outside of Israel and still persecute, as, as what Paul or Saul was doing. 
One commentator made this comment about Saul at this moment in his life where he's going out and says he's, he's wreaking havoc, he's breathing out threatenings and slaughter. He says this about Saul. He said, he said, like many other rabbis, he believed that the law had to be obeyed before Messiah could come. And yet these heretics, these Christians, were preaching against the law, the temple, and the traditions of the fathers. Saul wasted the churches in Judea. We see that in Galatians 1.23. And then he got authority from the high priest to go as far as Damascus to hunt down the disciples of Jesus. This was no insignificant enterprise for the authority of the highest Jewish council was behind him. And like I just said, they got that authority from Rome itself. Then Matthew Henry said this about Saul at this point in his life. It was natural to him in his constant busyness. He breathed out heat and vehemence. His very breath, like that of some venomous creatures, was pestilential. He breathed death to the Christians. He puffed at them in his pride, and he spit his venom at them in his rage. And someone else said Paul was an, or Saul was an intellectual giant, far-sighted enough to see that he could be no, there could be no peaceful coexistence between militant Judaism and Christianity. Whatever his teacher Gamaliel might have advised about moderation. Saul saw the incompatibility of the two faiths. Either Judaism was right and Christianity was apostasy, or Christianity was right and Judaism was obsolete. Saul's birth, his beliefs, and his background drove him into a head-on confrontation with Christians. That's just what made him. He was this, these, they had to go. We had to get rid of them, or what everything I believed, or everything I've raised, or everything taught is wrong, or it's obsolete, or he's, he's, we've got... He said, we've got to get rid of these Christians. So that was Saul's mindset. That was his heart. His hatred, his intense hatred of Christians and Christ. His intense desire to rid all the world of Christians. He was motivated by hate. Motivated by his intense religious zeal to protect his religious traditions. And protect his pride in himself. That was the mindset we had of Saul at this moment. We find him on the road to Damascus. Now we're going to look at Saul's new beginning. Look at Acts chapter 9, verses 3 to 11. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a, a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did he eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into that street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. So we're getting a Saul's new beginning. As we study about Paul, we study, uh, we study the soul-saving power of the true gospel of Christ, who enables each of us to see the light of the Savior and accept his saving gospel, and enter into that newness of life with him for eternity. If you're among the early Christians, just after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, the name Saul would bring fear. 
strike fear to your heart if they said Saul was here, Saul was near. Saul asked about you to bring fear, strike fear to your heart. Saul wanted Christianity destroyed. He traveled far and wide to make that happen. He gave approval to the most brutal of deaths. Then something happened. Saul met Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, Saul was blinded by unbelief, and then he was blinded by the light of Christ before he was converted. Then he became a trophy of God's grace. Some call Saul's conversion the most important conversion in history, since millions upon millions of Christians could trace their spiritual roots to Paul. God took a persecutor and made him an apostle. A staunch defender of the law of tradition became a preacher of grace. Saul's example shows us God can use anyone, no matter what is in their past, and use them to do anything, use them mightily for the Lord. And Saul called himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he, but he became the voice of the Gentiles. 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I love that verse. I love that verse. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you have a past, old things are passed away. God still wants to use you. God still can use you. Just believe the Bible, not tradition, and surrender to his calling on your life. God will surprise you with what he has planned for you. Saul had a past, and look how God used him. Saul was so radically changed that he was soon no longer called Saul, but instead became known as Paul. Saul received a new Lord. Up until this point, Paul or Saul was the Lord of his own life. He, 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 wanted, he was concerned about him, his beliefs, his tradition, his religion. It was all about Paul, all about his power, all about his prestige. But in that moment, Jesus became came to Saul, Saul became a new man, he got a new name, he got a new Lord, he got a new beginning. Look at verses 12 to 18. And he had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul. I like that. I like that. i got to pause right there. Not even anyone else, but I like that. The first words Saul heard from a Christian. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. I love that. The Lord, brother saw the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me, and that, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. Now this blindness, this, this, this happened in the physical realm, but it was through divine intention or divine action. But it can illustrate what happens to us in the spiritual realm. For people, it may take years for them to be saved. It may take years for them to, to see, to clearly understand their need or submit to the, the calling of the Holy Spirit to open their spiritual blinded eyes and get saved. Like I think I've mentioned before, my father was 
in his late 40s, I think, probably right around my age when he got saved. So I mean, it took years of, of a preacher talking to my mom and you know wanting him to come to church. It took years for that to happen, but he got saved. First Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The world is lost in spiritual blindness. Psalm 82.5, They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. Proverbs 4.19, The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. In Matthew 13, 13, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they see and see not, and hearing they hear not. Neither do they understand. Then the world, they have blind leaders. Matthew 15, 14, Let them alone, they be blind leaders of the blind. If the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. In Matthew 23, 26, Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first thou which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. I thought I'd throw this out here for a minute. They have blind leaders. I see that all over the place. We have blind leaders all over our country, all over the world. And let them alone, the blind leaders of the blind. All right, now our next thing is Paul knows what it's like to be spiritually blind. If you turn to Acts 26, we'll just read verses 13 to 18. Acts 26, 13 to 18. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I, sh I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles upon whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from power, from power and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me, to open their eyes. Paul knew what it was like to be spiritually blinded. Second Corinthians 3.14, But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. In 2 Timothy 3, 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul knew what it was like to be spiritually blinded. He could empathize, he could understand, and he, he knew that he had the cure for that spiritual blindness. And he got that, he was cured from that spiritual blindness by the encounter with Jesus. And he knew people need to be cured from that spiritual blindness. They need that encounter with Jesus. They need to meet Jesus. They need Jesus as their Lord. They need to accept that free gift of salvation. They need to accept what Jesus has done on their behalf. And they need to accept that payment of the wages of sin on their behalf that Jesus has done for them on the cross and, and, and how he paid that. That's the cure for that spiritual blindness. People need to have that encounter with Jesus. People need to have that... Jesus can remove that spiritual blind scales from their eyes. They need to have that encounter with Jesus and then they can heal that blind heart and the light of the Lord, the, the light of the love of God will shine in. We can even know that even Christians can be spiritually blinded to some extent. 
Ephesians 5, 8 says, For we were sometimes darkness, but now are ye the light in the world. Walk as children of light. And then in 2 Peter, verses 5 to 8 of chapter 1, uh, it says in 2 Peter 5, 8, that he, Peter is telling us to grow in Christ, is add to this, add to this, grow in Christ. And then in verse 9, it says, But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. 1 John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. In 1 John 2, 9 and 11, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. But he that hateth his brother is in, in darkness even until now, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. So we can see spiritual blindness in churches today as well. Revelation 3, 17. Because thou sayest I am rich, and increase with goods, and have no need, have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. So spiritual blindness can be all over churches as well. So with all this, the spiritual blindness of the unsaved, the Christians having some spiritual blindness, churches with spiritual blindness, our prayer should be that Psalm 119 verse 18. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Open my eyes. In those three days of blindness in Acts chapter 9, Saul had time to think. I'm sure he had time to pray. He realized Jesus was alive. He realized what he had heard about him, the, the lies. They were lies. He realized that he needed to believe in Jesus. So he believes that Jesus is now the Messiah the scales fall off his eyes, his eyes are open, he's saved, he's no longer physically blind, but he's no longer spiritually blind. You know, when the scales fall off a sinner, he begins to see his sin as God sees it. We begin to see our sin as God sees it. That's humbling when we see our sin as God sees it. A thief understands his plight, a liar sees his need, a, a cheater sees a need to get right. Maybe that Psalm 119 verse 18, may that be our prayer Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold the wondrous things out of thy law. We need to ask the Lord to keep us from spiritual blindness, to heal us from spiritual blindness if that's in our lives, to heal our lost loved ones, heal our nation from spiritual blindness. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold the wondrous things out of thy law. So heart knowledge is needed for a new beginning. Heart knowledge is needed for a new beginning, not head knowledge. Education is the answer, isn't the answer, because we just end up with smarter sinners with education. Saul got saved, and the Bible tells us that he went away and he studied in Arabia. He read the Old Testament probably before that time, probably hundreds of times. But when he reread the Old Testament, he saw Jesus on every page. He read about the lamb and the brazen altar, and he saw Jesus. When he saw the priest washing his hands at the laver, he saw Jesus, the water of life. When he read of the holy place, he saw the lampstand, he thought of Jesus, the light of the world. When he turned to the table of showbread, he saw Jesus, the bread of life. When he caught a whiff of that altar of incense, and he realized Jesus was his high priest, ever making intercession for him as a believer. Now, new Lord equals new sight. Paul received a, a, a dynamic in our passage in Acts chapter 9. He received that, all of that in just a matter of days. Read how he was acting like an animal. He's wreaking havoc. He's breathing out threatenings and slaughter. But God got his attention, and God tamed that man in an instant. He described himself as a, 
the chief of sinners. Uh, he, he said he's the least of all saints. He said he's the least of the apostles. Uh, he described himself as nothing. We can be changed like that too. Just do what Saul did. Face God today. Say, Lord, what would thou have me to do? Remove that spiritual blindness in whatever area of my life it's there. Remove those scales. Help me see my sin as you see it, Lord. Let me surrender to you. Do what it takes. Uh, cleanse me. Fill me. Use me. Someone described it this way. Becoming a Christian. Becoming a Christian isn't like a tadpole becoming a frog. A long process in which it changes, but it is still basically the same thing in a different form. I read this, I'm like, I wish I'd thought of this, but it's, someone else wrote it. Isn't, becoming a Christian isn't like a tadpole becoming a frog, a long process in which it changes, but it's still basically the same thing, just in a different form. Rather, it's more like a frog receiving the kiss of grace and becoming a prince, a child of the king. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. I thought that was really good. So the voice of the Lord may be talking to some of us today. Maybe there's some things we need to change. Maybe there's some spiritual blindness in our life. Maybe there's some scales that we put up so we don't see those things in our life. Maybe we just need to pray to get those things right. Pray for our loved ones. Pray for our family. Pray for our friends. Pray for our nation. That spiritual blindness will be removed and that we can all have that new beginning like Paul like Saul here in our passage. One of my favorite new beginnings in, in the whole New Testament is his new beginning, how God can use a man with that past, use a man that had done so many things against Christians, and use him mightily, make an apostle out of him, and, and use him to write a, a large portion of the New Testament. I mean, it's just amazing what God can do with a man that's just willing. Just willing. It's amazing what God can do.